All right, we're looking at Galatians. We're reading verses 1 through 5 of Galatians chapter 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts through your spirit as you work powerfully through this, your word. Lord, your word tells us that it is alive, it is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, as we come before it, we pray that you would accomplish the work that that you intend to do through it. Lord, the the rain this morning reminds us of that great passage, that, that just as the rain falls from the heavens and waters the earth and does not return without having accomplished the purpose for which you sent it, oh God, as your word goes forth this morning, here in this church and wherever your people are gathered in your name, oh Lord, would you make your word effective? Lord, you accomplish the work that you set out to do through it. And Lord, may we all be people who give an amen and and give glory to you because of who you are and what you have done in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so as I mentioned, we're beginning a series on Galatians this morning. The title of the series, if you notice in your bulletin, is God Rescues Prodigals. And if you've read Galatians, you're probably going, wait, (laughs) where are the prodigals in Galatians? You know, prodigals, you know, are people that have, have, have gone off, lived a reckless life, hit rock bottom, had no interest in God whatsoever, doing their own thing. And, and by God's grace, that's, some of you, that's your story. God rescued you from that kind of a, a prodigal life. He's, he's drawn you to himself. He's brought you to his side for your salvation. So, you know, Paul's writing to churches in Galatia, to people who are very religious, very concerned about honoring God. So where are the prodigals in Galatia? And the answer is everywhere. Everywhere. If you remember uh, when I launched our Gospel Culture series back in um, August, uh, I began with a sermon on Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And and again, you, you remember that uh, the, the prodigal had gone out. He had lived a reckless life. He came to his senses by God's grace. He returned. And, you know, Jesus in the parable tells of the father who represents God, who's looking from afar off. He sees his son come home. He, he runs out to meet him. He's overwhelmed with joy. He throws a feast. He invites everyone into the home. Come celebrate with me for the son of mine who is dead is now, been, is, is now alive, who is lost and is found. The father can't contain his joy. He invites everyone to join in. And that that joy, that sharing in the Father's joy as prodigals who are gathered together in church each and every Sunday is at the heart of what gospel culture is. But remember, there were two prodigals in the parable of Luke 15. There's the prodigal that had, had run far, far away 
and lived a reckless life, and there was a prodigal who stayed home, the older brother, who had lived a very zealous, fastidious, upright, moral life, but whose heart was far from the father. You remember he was in the field. The father ran out when he saw the younger brother returning, and the father went out to the older brother and invited him. Actually, the word literally could be translated, begged him to come into the feast. That older brother in the parable represented the the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the upright, religious, moral, zealous for God people who were part of the audience to whom Jesus was teaching this parable. And his point in doing so, and including this older brother, was to make sure that they knew and that all of us know that Jesus came to rescue both kinds of prodigals. Both the older brother type or the younger brother type who who lived the reckless life and ran off and whose heart was far from his father and the older brother type who never left the property, who was very zealous to serve his father, considered himself slaving for his father, and yet whose heart was just as lost as that of the younger brother. It's to those who were in danger of becoming older brothers to those who were in danger of of leaving the Father's house, of leaving the joy of Christian fellowship and migrating out into the field. Those are the people to whom Paul is writing Galatians. Older brother types of prodigals, or at least potentially so. So what's happening in, in Galatians? First of all, it begins off, you know, Paul identifying himself as an apostle. I am not going to get a lot into the biographical background of Paul, because if you look down at verses 11 and then through verse 24, you see that Paul is very autobiographical in that section. So when we get to that passage in two weeks, I'll spend time talking about Paul, and in particular, why he began with Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. There's a, there's a whole lot behind even just those first few words at the beginning of the letter. But I'll come back to that in two weeks. We'll get more about Paul when we look at verses 11 through 24. But what's happening in Galatia? Well, Paul and, and Barnabas had gone to this Roman province known as Galatia. They had gone through the southern part of the province and they had been preaching the gospel and they planted a lot of churches. And at the end of that first missionary journey that Paul was on, he returned to his home base of Antioch. And not long after he returned, a number of false teachers began to come in and infiltrate those churches. Those false teachers were known, you know, as Judaizers, Judaizers because they were trying to tell these brand new Christians, Christians who had never heard the story of Jesus Christ. It, it would be like these you know, Muslim folks that go back into uh, Pakistan or Afghanistan or wherever. They've heard the gospel, but they put their trust in Jesus. You know, there's, we, we, we know that by God's grace, there's already a church. There's already a people in those places. And so they, they get connected with the church, and there's this joy of salvation. And then somebody comes in and says, you know what? There's actually more you need to do. Faith in Christ isn't enough. The Judaizers were doing that in the Roman province of Galatia. They were coming in and essentially saying, faith in Christ is good, but you need to become, essentially you need to become Jewish. The men need to be circumcised. There are certain dietary laws that you must keep in order to be right with God. There are certain days that need to be observed 
that you must keep in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. And what they were doing in adding these laws and saying faith in Christ was not enough was saying to these people who, brand new Christians, we all remember that day, joy. What they were doing is saying, let's get out, get out in the field with me. Enticing them out of the Father's house, as it were, out into the field where they would lose their joy. They would lose the joy of their salvation. And, and Paul was livid. He was livid. We'll, as we look through the letter, we'll see language that reveals the lividness of his heart toward these Judaizers. And he was also deeply burdened for the believers who were being enticed to develop this older brother way of thinking about their relationship with God. Now, you might ask, well, how could they ever fall prey to that? I mean, having been rescued by God's grace, having, having known this joy of being reconciled to God and, and being adopted into his family, having the, the hope of eternal life, how could they ever possibly be enticed into a works-based type of relationship with God? And the answer, of course, is not hard to imagine. You know how hard the Christian life can be. You know how frustrated you can get with your own progress in the faith. And so you, you, you begin to think that, well, maybe there's something more that I need to be doing in order to grow. Maybe, maybe if I do a little bit more, God will then bless me with the kind of transformation I'm looking for. Maybe it's not just a matter of, of his spirit indwelling me and, and working through me to, to give me a desire to glorify God and obey him all of my days out of, out of, out of gratitude for him, to him for his grace. Maybe it's actually something that I'm supposed to contribute to add to the work of, of the cross. And then somebody comes along and says, well, actually there is. It's simple, <laughs> right? That's tempting. People flock to churches that preach that kind of a message. We want to hear that. We want to know that there's something that we can do. There's something in us that wants to contribute to our own salvation, Right? I mean, if we're honest, we know that that's the case. It's not hard to imagine why that kind of message given to people who were once so filled with hope, but now just because of the, the reality of ongoing sin in their lives are beginning to lose it, you could imagine that if somebody came along and said, just follow these steps and that joy will be yours again, you could imagine how enticing it would be to fall prey. What does Paul do? Paul comes back in out of a burden for these souls who are leaving the father's house and heading back out into the field out of a deep burden for them. He says, let me take you back to the gospel. Let me take you back to grace. Let me take you back to that thing that you first believed because in continuing to believe that and walk in light of it, you will experience the joy of your salvation. You will experience what it means to be saved and rescued by God. What is already yours will become more of a reality in your life. That's the message that Paul will give us in Galatians. He wants to make sure that the Christians in Galatia and that Christians down to this very day, right here in this place, never, ever, ever forget the rescue that God has accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
So this morning, we're going to see three things about this rescue. We're going to see how Paul tells us right in these first five verses, right in the greeting, why we need rescue. So that's the first thing we'll consider, why we need rescue. Second, how we're rescued. And then third, the end to which we are rescued. Why we need rescue, how we're rescued, and the end to which we're rescued. And I know for some of you, you're like, I've... This is gospel 101. And, and Paul would say, yeah, yeah, because that's the key. Why we need rescue, how we're rescued, and the end to which we're rescued. So first, why we need rescue. And there are two verses, or two phrases in verse 4 that I want to make sure you see. The first is that phrase, for our sins. And the second is the phrase, to deliver us from the present evil age. You want to know why we need rescue? It's captured in those two phrases. For our sins. Paul speaks of not just the brokenness, but the wrath that is due us from God because of our sin. There are words in scriptures that have to do with getting at sin. There's that word that has to do with sin being a a missing of the mark. Sin being a a falling short of the things that we know to be true. Whether you are a, a Christian or not, God has written his law on your heart. You have a sense of right and wrong, and you know that you fall short of that. No matter how you try to excuse yourself and, and relativize it over it against people that seem to be far worse than you are, you know that you fall short of your own standard, let alone this standard that perhaps now you're hearing for the very first time. So there's falling short or missing the mark. There's this word transgression, which which ultimately speaks to our rebellion because it has to do with with violating or, or turning away from ignoring, deliberately breaking the law of God. Transgression. There's this word iniquity. It has to do with the fact that our, that our, our soul, our hearts, our, all our thinking, all our doing, all our, our feeling is warped. It's bent toward sin and not bent toward God. And it's not just that we're broken in all these ways. Paul tells us in no uncertain terms in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, that we are under God's curse. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, do you see the difference between what I described in terms of definitions of sin, which automatically you think, oh, those are all younger brother types of things. Iniquity, being warped towards sin, transgression, violating God's command, missing the mark, falling short of what we know to be true. But what does Paul say in Galatians 3.10? For all who rely on works, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the law. In other words, here's, here's, here's a reminder right here from Galatians. Younger brother, people, prodigals apart from God's grace are under God's curse. But, but so are religious people. So are older brother types who look to their own righteousness, their own ability to merit God's salvation. They also are under the curse. The curse of God that we're all due because of our sin. We're broken. 
We're not just broken. We're not just people that need a little bit of help in order to be the kind of people that God will say, you're in. We're under his wrath. And then there's this phrase of the present evil age. Well, let me, let me just step back for a second. <laughs> I just saw it in my notes. I forgot I put it there. The, the horrible lie of the Judaizers is that that deliverance from sin, that deliverance from God's wrath, that, that straightening out of all that's crooked within your heart, that, that walking in accord with God's law, the Judaizers' lie is that they're saying to people, God needs your help with that. God needs your help with that. Yes, Jesus came, he died, faith in him is good, but it's not enough. In order for you to be delivered from sin's penalty, you need to contribute something to that deliverance, to that rescue. God needs your help. So then there's this phrase, the present evil age. The present evil age, um, that is a way of describing, reminding us of the fact that it's, sin is not just an individual problem. This entire age from Adam and Eve's sin all the way through the present Ultimately, until Jesus Christ returns and all things are made new, all that is crooked is made straight, all that is evil is eradicated and judged, until that day we live in what Scripture refers to as a present evil age. Evil reigns. We see it. We read it in the news every day. All natural disasters, these are things that would not be happening if sin had not entered into the world. Everything is broken, not just the human soul, because of sin. And we are all alike in bondage in this present evil age. There's no rescuing ourselves from it. We are under God's wrath because of our sin, and we are entrapped in what Scripture refers to as the present evil age. We need total deliverance. And again, the lie of the Judaizers was, yeah, but you need, to, you need to pitch in. Paul says in no uncertain terms in the passage that we looked at next week, that's another gospel entirely. Quote, unquote. There's nothing that's good news about that. So let's look secondly then at the means by which we are rescued. And, and the answer, if you're going to remember a word, just remember cross. The means by which we are rescued is the cross of Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That phrase, raised him from the dead, is shorthand in Paul here in Galatians for everything that preceded it. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, God, the second person of the Trinity, eternal, became man, became flesh. He lived the perfect, sinless life of obedience. His heart was always fully aligned with that of his Father. And then he went to the cross and died the death that we deserve. He bore the wrath from God that we deserve. And then God raised him from the dead. It's at the cross that this deliverance, this rescue was accomplished. It was at the cross that, the, that, 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 Jesus, that, that Jesus defeated Satan. The head of the serpent that was foreshadowed would be crushed in, Galatia, in, in, in Genesis. That happened 
at the cross. What is the cross of Jesus Christ? Some who, who don't know the, the Lord, and perhaps some of you who are here this morning may think, oh, what, a, what a tremendous heroic act. There's never been a hero like Jesus. Others would say, wow, what, a, what an example of sacrificial love. And it is an example of sacrificial love. But it's so much more. That's where the wrath that we deserve was born. That's where the rescue that we need was achieved. It was there. Paul tells us in verse 4, concerning Jesus, he gave himself for our sins. He gave himself. There was nothing that we could do. He had to give his very self on the cross in order for us to be delivered from our sin. Galatians 3.10 again says that everyone who seeks to obey the law is under the curse of God. Martin Luther said those words are like thunderclaps from heaven against all kinds of self-righteousness. Thunderclaps from heaven. I remember watching a... I don't know who's playing. It's a baseball game some time ago, but you can. It's on. It wasn't so long ago that you can't find it on YouTube. These guys were playing baseball. They're all on the field. There was this tremendous burst of thunder, and I have never seen 18 men and four umpires run as quickly as they did for the dugout. Luther says this is like a thunderclap. Have you ever been out in the middle of a field and, and there's just this breaking of thunder like you've never heard? We don't get it that much here in Rochester. When we lived in St. Louis, man, they knew thunder. Just a crack like you've never heard and you run. What Luther says concerning all who are under, all are under the curse who seek to base their relationship on their performance. It's like a thunderclap that sends the self-righteous running by God's grace, running to the cross. Running to the rescue that is found there. And Jesus died to deliver us from the present evil age. So I spoke of the present evil age. Jesus died to deliver us from it. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, we still live. I'm I'm here. The world's still broken. I'm stuck in the middle of it. I feel my own brokenness. Scripture talks about the reality that even though the present evil age continues and will continue until Jesus Christ returns with the cross and the resurrection, the age to come has broken in such that there's an overlap. We live in the present evil age of those who are now of the age to come. Paul uses the phrase new creation in 1 Corinthians. He uses the phrase here in Galatians that the only thing that counts is new creation. He's saying that in Christ, that new creation is broken in and those who are united to Christ by faith are now People who have inherited and are enjoying eternal life now. We're people of the age to come, living in this present evil age. Bearing witness concerning what is found in Jesus Christ to those who are still in bondage to this present evil age. Jesus died to bear the curse. He died to deliver us from the present evil age. Christianity is a rescue religion. 
It's a rescue religion. Every other religion in the world is some form of a self-salvation project. Christianity alone says there's nothing you can do to rescue yourself. I love the way Jack Miller put it. Jack Miller, the author of uh, Sonship and other books, he's with Jesus now. He said this, great way to begin this phrase, cheer up, you're worse than you think. And Paul's saying the same thing here in Galatians. Jesus had to die in order for you to have God's wrath removed for the sin that you deserve. He had to die in order for you to be delivered from the present evil age. That's how bad you are. Cheer up, Jack Miller says. You're worse than you think. But Paul also says the second half of that phrase from Jack Miller, cheer up, you're more loved in Christ than you could ever imagine. He gave himself he gave himself he bore that we, we can't even begin to fathom this concept of the wrath of god as gruesome as the death of jesus christ on the cross was it was it, it didn't give us the full reality of what it meant to bear the curse of god it wasn't just about physical turmoil it was about separation and being under the curse that Jesus experienced on the cross. May it be that none of us do. None of us. He died to deliver us. He died to rescue us from this present evil age. We cannot rescue ourselves. Third and final point, the end to which, <clears throat> the end to which we are rescued. I want to hit these real quick. Grace, peace, freedom, glory. Grace, peace, freedom, glory. Paul says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not, how you doing? So glad to be able to write to you. It's not, hey, hope things are going well. Grace and peace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. It actually comes from the, um, the Old Testament idea of his steadfast love or his, his, his hesed, his, his unfailing love for his people. Grace. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. This, this gospel message that I'm reminding you of at the core of the message is that the grace that saved you is the grace that will sustain you and will never let you go. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, grace and peace. This, this grace has achieved for us a peace a reconciliation now with God. We who were Christ's enemies have now been rescued, have been reconciled to God. We have peace with God. We have peace within our very selves. Oh, we're still waiting for that to bring its full fulfillment such that our hearts are not divided, but that our hearts are united in our love for God and our worship of Him. We long for that day, but, but because the Spirit of God dwells in us, because that age is broken in, we can more and more worship God with a heart that's united in its devotion to Him. Grace and peace, peace with God, peace within our very selves, peace with one another. When we get to the later chapters of Galatians, one of the things that Paul's going to very quickly turn to, after he says, all this grace that I'm talking about doesn't mean that you can just go be like the younger brother and sin like crazy. The thing he points to is actually what it looks like is 
generous love toward one another. Do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So peace lived out in our relationships with one another. Grace, peace, freedom, deliverance from this present evil age in order to experience what it means to be free from the bondage, from the way of living that characterized that present evil age. Free from the power of sin in our lives and the penalty of sin, the wrath of God that we deserve. Yes, the presence of sin is still with us, but there's a freedom that we enjoy now that we never had, never had. Never had. You were never truly free until you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. This is freedom. And the freedom that you enjoy now in Christ is just a foretaste of the freedom that is to be fully enjoyed forever. And then fourth, glory. Glory. Look at the last verse, verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, where we see the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. The face, that has to do with his person, his work. Right? You may see somebody and their, their back is to you and, and you think you know who they are, you, you kind of recognize them a little bit, but, but then they turn around, you see their face, and you're like, oh, I know who you are. Face has to do with the revelation of, of, of who that person is. Their person, in the, in the case of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, his person, his work. The scriptures tell us all about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do you want to look into the face of Jesus Christ that you might behold the glory of God? It's here in the word of God. Jesus tells us from beginning to end, it's all about him. Grace. Peace, freedom, glory. What happens in a person and among a people who taste that kind of grace, who experience what it is like to have received God's grace, to be reconciled to him, to enjoy that kind of freedom, and to live for his glory? That's gospel culture. That's what it looks like for people to be together dwelling in that reality. More and more and more, we are people, because of God's grace, who love Jesus joyfully. There's just a love for Jesus that just can't be contained. And it looks like joy. We're more and more people who who serve others generously. That's where Paul's going to take us in Galatians. And because Paul begins Galatians speaking of deliverance from the present evil age and ends Galatians talking about um, new creation, he's reminding us that everything in between is all about the lives of people who have their hope anchored in eternity. We're not living for the here and now. We're living for that day. How do you respond? Say amen. I mean, Paul ends, verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. How do you enter into, if you're not a Christian, if you, if you, if you are a Christian, how do you grow deeper in your um, understanding, comprehension, experience of, Paul says in, in, uh, in um, Ephesians chapter 3, his love, Christ's love for you? Just say amen to it. Yes, Lord. 
Let it be, Lord. There's nothing that I can contribute to that. I therefore say amen to all that you have done in Jesus for me. Amen indeed. Let us be people who are living the amen of grace together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be those who say yes to the Father's invitation as we're making our way out into the field, tempted to think that we need to do things to contribute to our salvation. Oh God, would you by your grace be like the father going out to the, to the older brother prodigal. Would you through your word and in particular through this letter to Galatians, would you come out to us and would you invite us back in to share in your joy over sinners like us who repent. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.